Well, if we could this evening, with the Lord's help and the Lord's guidance, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, the book of Psalms and Psalm 27. Book of Psalms, Psalm 27, and if we just read again uh, the first three verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. When we consider the opening words of Psalm 27, uh, we are confronted with beautiful words of confidence. I suppose in which we could say about them that we have, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to be afraid of. I have nothing to be anxious about because the Lord is with me. And even though evildoers and adversaries and foes, as David says, they can come in all different forms against us. And when these things gather in my life to attack me, they will stumble and fall. They will not overcome me. And even though an entire army, as he says, may encamp against me, me personally, my heart shall not fear. Though war against me will rise, I will remain confident. I will remain confident. Now, that all sounds good and it sounds like a great speech that will rally us up and get us fired up to have a positive mindset towards the Lord. But I want to ask this evening, is that reality? Is that your reality? Is that my reality? That when evildoers and adversaries and foes rise up against us, am I still confident? Is my heart still fearless? With everything I'm confronted with in my life, am I always confessing with David, the Lord is my light and my salvation? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I suppose if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would probably say no. Because the reality is, we aren't always fearless. The reality is, we aren't always doubtless. The reality is, we aren't always confident in the Lord. Because more often than not, when the evildoers and the adversaries and the foes, when they rise up against us, we feel weak and we feel helpless. And we question sometimes what the Lord is doing in our life. And we wonder why the Lord has put this thing there at all. And it causes our mind to be full of doubts and anxieties which press upon us and, and weigh down upon us. And you know, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase or we've used it to describe ourselves. Uh, the phrase, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. And we often say it when we realise that what's hindering us or what's holding us back in life or what's causing us to have all these doubts and anxious thoughts, it's not from someone else or from something else. They all come from us. 
Instead of the evildoers and the adversaries and the foes which David speaks of, instead of them rising up from without, out with, they're actually coming from within. The attack is from within. We are our own worst enemies. And it was John Calvin who made the interesting observation about this psalm in his commentary. He said, It is necessary that the saints earnestly wrestle with themselves to repel or subdue the doubts which the flesh flesh is so prone to cherish. I'll read it again. It is necessary that the saints earnestly wrestle with themselves to repel or subdue the doubts which the flesh is so prone to cherish. And what Calvin says is so true. Because I'm sure that you're aware of it by now. That for the most part, the Christian life is a battle of the mind. It's a battle of the mind. Where, as Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, near the end, at chapter 6, he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight is not from without. Our fight, he says, is from within. And it's a fight against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in high places. And they're all the enemies. These are all the enemies that are attacking from within. Within our mind. And as you know, the greatest attack from the devil, it's not from without. It's from within. The devil has never tried to destroy the church from without. He has always tried and has tried many times to destroy it from within. The reformation, the disruption, the 2000 incident. He tears churches apart from within. He doesn't tear congregations apart by sending enemies to attack from the outside. But he always causes chaos from the inside. I mean, if you just consider Judas Iscariot, he wasn't from without, he was from within. And that's how our greatest enemy works. He works from within, within our mind. But John Calvin says, and he was always of the opinion that it's what goes into your mind that makes you a strong Christian. It's what goes into your mind that makes you a strong Christian. And he points out that the only way to wrestle with ourselves, to wrestle and defend against the enemies of from within, is to consider the character of the Lord. To wrestle against the mind, the attacks upon the mind, is to consider the character of the Lord. Because when we look outside of ourselves and consider who the Lord is, it's then that we can be filled with confidence and assurance like David was. And I want us to see in this psalm that what David gives to us is actually a a battle strategy. Because he tells us that the only way to deal with our enemies from within, the only way to deal with the attacks from the devil upon our mind, is to focus our mind upon who the Lord is and what the Lord is like. And David says that when we focus our mind upon the Lord and confess that the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation and the Lord is my stronghold, it's then that we will have confidence against the enemies. Not confidence in self, but confidence in the Lord. 
And it was also Calvin, I loved what he said in his commentary. He said, these three titles, these three titles, my light, my salvation, my stronghold, they are like a threefold shield against our enemies. And I'd like us to see that this threefold shield, it is explained to us more fully throughout the rest of, of Psalm 27. It's explained more fully and well, as we go through it, you'll understand what I mean. So, so let's just look at these titles. The Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, and the Lord is my stronghold. So first of all, the Lord is my light. And we'll look at it from verse, verses 4 to 6. The Lord is my light. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all round me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So when David opens this beautiful psalm, he does so with that threefold proclamation. He lifts his shield. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And the Lord is my stronghold. But what we ought to see is that this proclamation about who the Lord is and what the Lord is like, it is a personal proclamation. Just like it was when we were considering uh, Psalm 23 last week. So you know David opened Psalm 23 with the personal proclamation, the Lord is my shepherd. And here in Psalm 27, David does the same. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. It's a personal proclamation. And it's a proclamation that highlights David's relationship with the Lord. His personal relationship with the Lord. But this opening personal proclamation, the first one, the Lord is my light. I believe it's explained to us in more detail in these verses, in verses 4 to 6. Because what we read here is that as a Christian, David may have been enduring a battle in his mind, but his heart was still fixed upon the Lord. What was going on in his mind was not what was going on in his heart. David says that there is one desire in his heart, and that was the desire to be close to the Lord and to gaze upon his beauty. And we'll come to understand what David means about that in a moment. But I want to point out to you that is it not so true that what may be going on in your head is not what is going on in your heart? Because in your mind, you may be attacked from every side where the devil is getting in and he's disrupt, disrupting your peace and he's attacking your mind and tempting you away from the Lord. But in your heart, you still have that one desire to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. In your mind, the devil is attacking you from within, causing you to worry, whether it's worry about yourself or, or uh, your own salvation. The devil tells you that, well, you're not good enough to be a Christian or you're too sinful to be a follower of Jesus or that Jesus, well, he doesn't love you as much as he used to because uh, you're so much more sinful than you used to 
be ever when you were first converted. And there are all these things that he attacks the mind with. Maybe it's your health. And he convinces you that this pain here and this pain there, it's going to kill you. You're going to die. No one will miss you. And everyone will be better off without you. And you know, the devil can attack us from within and fill our minds with fears and anxieties. That's why Paul, when he was talking about the full armor of God, he said, put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet. Protect your mind. Because when the devil attacks us in our mind, he can make us worry about what others will think of us. Worry about what they will say about us. Worry about rejection. He'll make us worry about misunderstanding or being ridiculed. And it can go into our mind. We can be attacked in our mind. And all this can go on in our mind without anybody else being aware of it. To the point that we can become a prisoner in our own mind with all that's going on and not say anything. And all these attacks from within, they can cast a dark shadow over us, over the mind. I, I don't know about you, but I often have the devil te telling me, smash your car on the Barbas Moor, kill yourself. That's the best thing to do. And it's not a suicidal thought, don't get me wrong. But that's the darkness which the devil can attack us with. And it's frightening. He's a fierce enemy. And he attacks from within. He attacks the mind. But what David shows us is that he can't attack the heart. The devil may attack the mind. And cause chaos with the darkness of anxiety. But what David reminds us is that the personal proclamation in the heart of the Christian is the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. And David's proclamation is true of every child of God. Because when we know the Lord personally, we not only acknowledge him to be the God who spoke light into darkness at the creation, but we also acknowledge him to be the God who spoke the light into the darkness of our hearts and said, let there be light. And I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He's talking about the ministry and the importance of the ministry. But he goes on to say that the God of this world, he blinded our mind blinded our mind to hinder the light of the gospel. But, says Paul, it was God, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness at creation. He has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you know what I find so beautiful? And beautiful is the only word I can use to describe it. What I find so beautiful is that what David was longing to see in Psalm 27. We know the well-known, the, the way the Psalter puts it. That I, the beauty of the Lord, behold me and admire. And that I in his holy place may reverently inquire. The beauty which David longed to see was the same beauty that the Apostle Paul saw on the road to, to, uh, the road to Damascus. And it was the same beauty which Moses saw in the tabernacle. 
Because the phrase, the beauty of the Lord, it's a lovely phrase. That phrase, it refers to the glorious light which God dwells in. It was what many people call the Shekinah glory. The glory which filled the tabernacle behind the veil. And it, it shone brightly, a light that no one could behold with the naked eye. And it displayed the beauty of the Lord. And Paul says that he encountered that beautiful light when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. Remember how Paul was going, he was on his way to kill Christians, on his way to to destroy the Christian church. But the Lord stopped him. The Lord stopped him in his tracks. And what's amazing is that on that particular occasion, the light of God's glory blinded Paul physically. And yet at the same time, it caused him to see spiritually. Wonderful thought. But as I mentioned, this glorious light was the same light which Moses saw in the tabernacle. It's amazing how it all fits together. Because do you remember in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel, they had disobeyed the Lord and they had created a golden calf to worship. And they had built this golden calf whilst Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And when Moses came down the mount, he saw the disobedience of the children of Israel and he, he broke the two tablets of stone upon which the Ten Commandments were written. And it was after that occasion where Moses was completely devastated and he was flattened by the actions of the children of Israel. The devil had got in, the devil had spoiled everything. But you remember when Moses prayed to the Lord, he said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord revealed his glory to Moses. He revealed his glory so much that when Moses came down the mountain the second time, having received another copy of the Ten Commandments, the face of Moses was shining. The face of Moses was shining. It was reflecting the light of God's glory. And it was so bright that Moses had to to veil his face because it was too bright for the children of Israel to look upon, upon his face. And what's amazing is that that's what Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians 4. It's amazing how the Bible just fits together this wonderful theme of light. Because Paul had experienced the light of God's glory on the road to Damascus. Moses had experienced the light of God's glory in the tabernacle. And then Paul pulls it all together and he said that our gospel is no longer to be veiled like it was over the face of Moses. But he says, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And my friend, that's the beauty of the Lord. It's in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what gave Moses encouragement. That's what gave David encouragement. That's what gave Paul encouragement. That even though the God of this world, the devil, even though he was trying to blind our minds, he said, we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in our heart. And this light, it's the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of the Lord. 
And when we know the beauty of the Lord, when we know that that beauty is in our heart, we have the assurance that David did when he said in verse 5, He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And our response to his beauty is to do as David responded in verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all round me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. The response is praise. When we make the personal proclamation that the Lord is my light. His glorious light is shining in my heart. Our response is one of praise. Praise. And so the first personal proclamation which is part of this threefold shield. The threefold shield against the attacks of our mind. Is the Lord is my light. But secondly the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. If you look at verse 7. David says hear O Lord when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said seek my face. My heart says to you your, your face Lord do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And so as David moves on from reflecting upon the Lord as his light, he cannot help but remember that the Lord is also his salvation. And in this section, it seems that David is now thinking back to the time when he cried to the Lord, for mercy. It's the occasion in his life when David came to a knowledge of his sin and a knowledge of his saviour. And he cries for mercy. He pleaded that the Lord would hear his prayer for mercy. David was pleading for salvation. And the word salvation, we use it all the time, but the word means rescue. It originates from the experience of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, being rescued out of Egypt. Because in Egypt, the children of Israel, they were in bondage. They were slaves under the rule of the tyrant Pharaoh. And they were made to serve Pharaoh and live according to his rules and, and follow his commands. And the imagery of the children of Israel in Egypt, that's the image of our sinful nature. Because by nature, we are in bondage to sin. We're under the rule of darkness. We're under the power of Satan. We're slaves to sin. We need to be rescued. And that's also the image which the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians 2. Where he says that our sinful nature has left us dead in trespasses and sins. Walking according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That is the devil. Where he has blinded our minds. He has brought us into bondage. So that we are fulfilling the desires of our flesh. And of our mind. But the wonder of it all. Is that God provided salvation. And just like he did with the children of Israel. Who were rescued out of Egypt. And delivered from the hand of, of their enemy. 
The Lord rescued us from the bondage of sin and death. He delivered us from the power of darkness and the grip of the devil. He set us free. And he set us free through the death of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul went on to say in Ephesians 2. He said, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in bondage, in trespasses and sins, even when we were under the grip of the devil, he made us alive together with Christ. He delivered us. He rescued us. He freed us. And Paul says he did it all by his grace. Paul says that it is by grace that we have been rescued. We've been saved. It's the Lord's doing. It's the Lord's work. It's the Lord's salvation. It's not our doing. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Lest any one of us would boast. Because our boast is not in self. But in Christ Jesus the Lord. The Lord who is my salvation. He is my deliverer. He is my rescuer. He has delivered me from the pit of hell itself. But in these words. David is not only describing his salvation. He's also describing his experience of salvation. At the time when he was seeking the Lord. Because he says in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. David was pleading that the Lord would answer his cries. And the word hear, it's an important word in the Old Testament. It means to listen and respond. And that's what the Israelites were always told. They were always told, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. But in this instant, David is pleading, hear, O Lord. Hear, O Lord. Because when he was seeking the Lord, David wanted the Lord to hear him and respond to all his cries according to his grace and mercy. David, literally what David is saying, that he was pleading that the Lord would hear and respond to his voice according to his covenant love. Because that's how the Lord acts towards sinners. He acts in love. And David knew that the Lord would listen to him, not because he deserved it, or that he had any righteousness of his own to plead before the Lord, or that he was in any position to be heard by the Lord. David knew that he, the Lord would listen to his cries only because of the Lord's covenant love towards him. And you know, I love what David says next about the Lord in verse 8. He said, you said, seek my face. That's what the Lord told him to do. To seek him. You said, seek my face. And I was thinking, how often were we told to do that? But we didn't do it. How many years were we promised that when we seek the Lord, we will find him? How many times were we told by our, our parents and our Sunday school teachers and different ministers and Christian friends, how many times were we told, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near? But you know, it didn't matter how many times we were told by others to seek the face of the Lord. It didn't matter how many times the devil got into our mind and said, this isn't for you, not just now, but put it off to later. 
Didn't matter how many times we, we questioned or put off the possibility of becoming a Christian. Or we thought it impossible that our sins could actually be forgiven. But it was only when, when we came to the personal realisation that we needed the Lord to be our salvation. It was only when we were brought to that point in our lives where we saw our need that we needed the Lord to rescue us. When that light shone into our heart, it's then that we saw we were in bondage and in sin and we needed to be rescued. And it was, it was when the Lord brought us to that point, we were saying with David, you said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And you know, my friend, when you think back to your own experience of seeking the Lord, which I know for some of you was a long time ago, which is amazing. But it's when you think back to those moments of when you were seeking the face of the Lord, are you not reminded of how faithful the Lord has been? How faithful he has been and how he has continued to be the rock of your salvation time and time and time again. From that first moment and from that first moment where you made the, the personal proclamation, the Lord is my salvation. He is my salvation. From that moment, he has been faithful to his promise. I will never, ever leave you and I will never, ever forsake you. And maybe you can understand what David means in verse 10 when he says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Because with these words, David draws our attention to the changeable nature of our lives. And our lives are always changing and going through change. To the point that those figures in our lives which played such a crucial role role in our upbringing and our development in our young years and they were there for us on so many occasions in our lives and yet our parents are removed from us they're taken away and in that sense uh, they forsake us not by choice but by death but you know what David came to discover and that's what he's saying here and what every child of God comes to discover is that their relationship to their parents, the natural relationship to their parents may be severed. But the relationship which they have with the Lord will never be severed. They'll never be separated from the Lord. And that's what Paul again speaks about in Romans 8. Although that beautiful question, he considered all the things that could easily separate us from the Lord. And he asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are able to defeat the enemy through him who loved us. And he says, I am persuaded that not even death, death will happen to us. 
We are without doubt about that. But death will not separate us. That's the beauty of it. And what Paul is saying is that because the Lord is my salvation, and because the Christian can say, the Lord is my salvation, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a beautiful thought. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. And my friend, when we can say that, when we can make that personal proclamation that the Lord is my salvation, we know that the Lord has taken us in. He, we are part of his family. And we are going to belong in his house. And so the first personal proclamation, which is part of this threefold shield against the attack of our mind, is the Lord is my light. The second is the Lord is my salvation. And the third is the Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my stronghold. Look at verse 11. David says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So each section we've looked at, each section that we've looked at, it has corresponded with this threefold shield of the titles relating to the Lord. But what we ought to notice about the beginning of each section is that they're all focused upon the Lord. In verse 4, David said, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Then in verse 7, David prayed, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer. Answer me. And now at the beginning of this section, David humbly submits to the will of the Lord and he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Everything in David's life as a believer is directed towards the Lord. He sees that everything he is, he is now. Everything he has now, it's all the doing of the Lord and wonderful in his eyes. Which is why he has this personal confession. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. But what David says says here, it shows his humility before the Lord. Because it's only if we are humble that we will ever ask the Lord to teach us. And if you read through the Psalms, that's one theme that will keep recurring again and again. David's desire to be taught by the Lord. And that should be our desire too. We should have a teachable spirit, regardless of how many years we've been walking with the Lord. We should have the humble heart which asks the Lord, teach me your way. Teach me your way. And sometimes it may be hard to say that in certain circumstances. But that should be our prayer. Teach me your way. Teach me through this experience. Through what I'm going through just now. 
teach me your way. Is that not what David was saying when we were singing in Psalm 86? Teach me thy way, and in thy truth, O Lord, then walk will I. Unite my heart, that I thy name may fear continually. Psalm 25, show me thy ways, O Lord. Thy paths, O teach thou me, and do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be. But the reality is, if we are not teachable, we're not humble before the Lord. If we can't be taught from scripture, or guided by uh, the words of another Christian, then the reason why is not our knowledge or our intellect, the reason we cannot be taught is our pride. We are too proud to be taught. And if we think we know better or we can't be taught or guided or spoken to without taking offence, then we're sure to fall into error. And that's what David is praying against. He's praying that he will not fall into error. He's praying that he will not move away from the teaching of the Lord. He's praying that he will not stop praying, teach me your way, O Lord. Because as soon as he does, he knows that his enemies are waiting for him. He knows that the will of his adversaries, whether from without or from within, their will is to destroy him and speak against him and to contradict his profession. My friend, when we don't have a humble and teachable spirit, error arises and the enemy comes in. The enemy comes in and when error arises, either in our mind or our actions, the devil uses it. He'll use anything that will bring the name of Jesus down and cause us to stumble. But it was Peter, the one who fell, the one who fell, the one who stumbled, the one who allowed the devil to sift him as wheat. He urged the churches in every century, beware lest you also are led away with the terror of the wicked from your own steadfastness. And Peter's solution to the problem of the devil coming in, he said, grow in grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In other words, we have to have a teachable spirit and ask the Lord to protect us from error. Because our mind is so weak, our mind is so fragile, it's so prone to error and distraction. It's constantly bombarded with attacks from without by the world, all the things we see, watch and hear. And we're attacked from within by the devil. And so teaching is important. Learning is important. Reading is important. (coughs) Growing is important. Fellowship is important. Because when we fill our mind with, with good things, with holy things, with godly things, with beautiful things, it's then that we will see the Lord as the stronghold of our life. It's then that we are, we are protected in that place of refuge by the Lord. It's then that we'll consider the Lord as this mighty fortress around us, protecting not only our mind, but also our heart. As Calvin said, it's what goes into your mind that makes you a strong Christian. And so the only way to, to wrestle with ourselves and all that's going on in our mind and defend against the enemies from within 
The only way is to consider the character of the Lord. Look to Jesus. That's what the Hebrews were reminded. They were wanting to give up on their faith. And the writer to the Hebrews said, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. We have to look outside of ourselves and consider who the Lord is. And it's only when we do that, that's when we're filled with confidence and filled with the assurance that the Lord is with us. And so what we ought to put into our mind is this threefold shield. Put that into our mind. Something that can never be taken from us. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And the Lord is my stronghold. And this is why David concludes uh, by saying about himself. The ESV translates it all wrong. But in the Hebrew it reads, I would have lost heart. This is what he says about his experience. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so my friend, our personal proclamation is to be as what David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But if that is not your reality tonight, and it might not be, if we are being bombarded by the world, the flesh and the devil, attacked from every side, then David leaves us with a word of encouragement. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And to wait upon the Lord is to meditate upon who the Lord is and to trust that he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And was it not Isaiah who wrote those beautiful words? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So my friend, pick up your threefold shield and confess the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation and the Lord is my stronghold. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we are unworthy of the least of thy mercies, but we thank thee that in Jesus Christ we have exceedingly abundantly above all, more than we could ask or even think. Help us, we pray thee, to acknowledge thee for all thy gifts to us. Help us, Lord, to be thankful. Help us to see that thou art the God who is working in us both to will and to do of thine own good pleasure. Keep us, we pray thee, Lord, when we are weak, for we know that even in our weakness that thou art the one who will make us strong. Bind us together, we ask. Help us to keep going on the way that we would be saying like the psalmist that against me though an host encamp, my heart yet fearless is. Oh, that we would be fearless, knowing that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Go before us, we ask thee. Bless us in our being together and bless us in our parting. Remember our homes and our families and our loved ones, Lord, that they too would know 
of this great salvation found in and through thy Son, Jesus. Cleanse us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in that psalm, in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, singing from the beginning down to the end of the double verse marked 4. Psalm 27, that's in the Scottish Psalter, page 236. The Lord's my light and saving health, who shall make me dismayed. My life's strength is the Lord of whom, then shall I be afraid. When as mine enemies and foes, most wicked persons all, to eat my flesh against me rose, they stumbled and did fall. Down to the end of the verse marked four, to God's praise. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.